All right, right there, right there from your seat, right here from mine. Let's, Jesus Christ is alive. So right now, when we go to pray, we don't just kind of bow our heads and let our minds wander off somewhere. We close our eyes so that it becomes real to us. We're, you can talk to God. You can talk to Christ. Join me in prayer right now. Let's talk to him. Jesus, we believe. It's a great sin that all over the world there are people who do not. So Lord, we're here because we believe you are risen alive. You're here this morning with us. You tell us in your word that in a special way on, this is your Sunday, this is the Lord's day, this is your day. You tell us in the word that in a special way you visit and walk among all of your churches all around the world. And you're pleased when from our hearts we exercise faith that you've given us when we use our mouths and our voices for what they've been given to us for, to proclaim the truth of your word and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, over these next few moments, we are gonna go into the Holy of Holies. We're gonna open up your, your living word. And we're dependent on the fact that your spirit is gonna operate in our spirits so that we take some truth away that our faith is strengthened and it grows, that your glory becomes more glorious to us as individuals and as a whole church. I pray that the sun of your glory would shine on Fellowship Alliance Chapel this morning. And I pray all this in the name of our great King, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. If you're new or new around here, uh, you may not know it, but I'm brand new too. I, I haven't even rounded the bases of my first year here, which has been so fun because that means over the last, you know, 11 months or so, um, I've had a bunch of firsts. You know, I had my like first Mother's Day here, my first Father's Day, my first Christmas, um, my first New Year's. We just celebrated my first Easter. And really, in a lot of ways, that's going to be the last first kind of thing that I do. Just a couple weeks, it's going to be a year, and then it's going to be my second Mother's Day. And I'm looking forward to all the great things about, you know, the second. But, you know, one of the appropriate things that it's good for us to do, um, this, this last Easter service, we had a real special time together as a congregation. I thought it would be a really appropriate thing for us just to take a minute. I asked our team to put together uh, like a little video to just remember all the kind of like all the different ways that God blessed us this last Easter to really thank him and celebrate him. So let's take a look back at, uh, at our Easter services and how God really blessed us. With and take me home but you're
It's also a terrific thing for us to take a moment and just think about and reflect on the hundreds of people who gave of all of their time and all of their skills and all of their gifts to make our Easter services possible. Let's express our gratitude to all those people that served, huh? Yeah. Now, so we just got done this last weekend celebrating Easter. The fact that Jesus, Jesus is risen. And he called it, right? He, he said three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. And then he gave instructions for what his disciples were supposed to do. And sometimes what can happen after Easter services like that is we turn our attention over to um, more pragmatic, practical teaching, you know, seven skills to great parenting, or here's the five steps to a wonderful marriage. And sometimes we gloss over one of the most miraculous things that the Bible ever tells us about, and that is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at what happened when Jesus Christ, with his body, the one that they whipped, the one that they ran the nails through, the one that he appeared to his disciples with the body that Jesus ate some fish with his disciples, with that real physical resurrected body. Scripture tells us that he ascended to heaven. And what we're gonna do today is we're gonna look at what that is and we're gonna look at what that means. And boy, my, my hope as we get to the end of this sermon, the apostles walked down from the Mount of Olives after Jesus Christ gave them a monstrous task to do. They walked down the Mount of Olives after he disappeared out of their sight. And scripture tells us that the feeling in their hearts when they walked back down that mountain was joy. My prayer is that we have that exact same feeling inside of us as we sort of visit the, with the apostles. What happened on that day? And that we walk out of here with that same kind of sense that the great commission, the mission that Jesus Christ gave us is not a burden it's a great joy. I'm going to ask that you take out your copy of God's Word, stand to your feet. We're going to pick up the incredible story of Jesus Christ's ministry here on earth. We're going to talk about it. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start at verse 11, and we're going to work, we're going to make our way all the way through the end of the chapter. Matthew 28, starting at verse 11. Hear these as the words of God to you. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, let me just pause right there. When, when he says all that's taken place, he means the fact that angels rolled the stone away so that human witnesses recorded right here said, he's not in there. That those are the events that the, the guards reported back to the chief priests. Look at what they did in verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Verse 16, now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that it's a great miracle that any human being like us walks away from hearing your word, having received anything. We know the only way that that happens is something spiritual has to happen to us. Your Holy Spirit has to open us up. Your Holy Spirit has to take us into this truth so that we can walk away having been taught by Jesus Christ this morning from his great throne through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Can you believe what the chief priests and the elders and the guards did? Jesus Christ raised from the dead. What, what should the response of every single human being be at that wonderful and glorious news? What, what should our response be? Tears, laughter, ugly cry. You should ugly cry when you hear this news. That's what should happen. And what should happen is we should be looking at each other with our mouths open. Can you believe him? Isn't he amazing? That's what's right. That's what rightfully should happen. And the chief priests and the elders and the guards did the opposite. They suppressed the truth in their unrighteousness. They lied about it. They went, they went the temple guards went to the chief priests and told them what had happened. So the chief priests knew what had happened. And for a sufficient sum of money, how much money would it take for these guys to lie about what happened? The chief priests gave them a sufficient sum of money and told them to lie about it. And, and Matthew tells us that when he was writing his gospel, that that lie was still circulating among people. Let me ask you a question. Isn't that lie still circulating? That the people who wrote the Bible had, um, had other motivations for writing the Bible and that we can't really trust that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling us the truth or that the book of Acts really records what happens or that the apostle Paul, that all those things that happened to him really happened. Aren't there many people who look at this and go, ah, there might be some kernel of truth underneath there, but most of the people in the Bible are lying and you know why that happens, right? Do you know why that lie is so easily circulated? It's because if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, then he's God. And if he's God, part of being God is being the boss. And if he's the boss, then you have to do what he tells you to do. And do people in general, people like you and me, do we love when God tells us what to do? Do we love that? Without a miracle, without God changing out your heart, taking your prideful, selfish, stubborn, self-centered heart, without God doing a miracle in you, none of us looks at the things that God commands us to do and says, oh yes, please, I love that. It takes a great miracle. So the reason why this lie circulates so easily, even in our day, is because our hearts are susceptible to it. Because we don't want to be commanded and told what to do. We want to be the king of our own lives. But can I just show you what a foolish thing it is to believe this lie? Can I just show you how silly this is? Can you see right here the great problem in the lie that the soldiers were telling? So the chief priest told the soldiers, here's a believable story that you can tell people. Tell people that while you were sleeping, his disciples came and stole the body. Do you see the problem with that? If your eyes were closed sleeping, how precisely could you tell us who it was that came here and took the body again? How did you see them when your eyes were closed again, right? 
See, at the end of the day, unbelief isn't logical. Scripture tells us this. Paul tells us this in Romans. All you and I have to do is look around. Look around at the stars in the sky. Look around at the sun and the sunrise. Look at this incredible world that God created. Look at a child. Watch an infant sleeping and you tell me that that, you tell me really, God didn't do that. Which one of those makes more sense? But this lie still circulates. And then, uh, even though that lie still circulated, those soldiers weren't the only ones commissioned to tell the breaking news. They had one story to tell about the resurrection, which was a lie. But the disciples had another story to tell about the resurrection, which is the truth. It's a glorious truth. It's an incredible truth. It's a life-changing truth. Now, he commissions them to go out and tell this truth to the whole world in, in the Great Commission. If you look at verse 16... Scripture says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And see, here's, here's one of the challenges in reading through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all end a little bit differently. Not as if the end of, the, uh, the end of Jesus' ministry here uh, happened in different ways. It's different details come out about what happens here. And sometimes it comes awfully abruptly. Uh, for instance, Matthew... Um, ends his gospel on the mountain of Galilee. But Luke tells us that the ascension of Jesus Christ didn't happen in Galilee. The ascension of Jesus Christ happened on the Mount of Olives, which is on the side, or, or at Bethany, which is on the side of the Mount of Olives. And so sometimes what happens is we can get sloppy in what happened in the days following the resurrection. And because Jesus Christ, all of his ministry was perfectly planned according to the Father, and it's beautiful and exquisite in everything that it accomplishes, Christians who love Jesus Christ should not be fuzzy nor sloppy about what Jesus did for the 40 exact precise days that he appeared to his disciples, showing them many proofs and giving them teaching in between the time that he was resurrected and the time that he ascended. So Matthew gives us a clue. Now the day of the resurrection, after Jesus was resurrected, there are many appearances, as you can imagine. The disciples were recording the events that happened that day. That was one crazy day, yes? Starts out with an empty tomb. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to the other Marys. He appears to Peter on that same day. He appears on, uh, to two disciples who were on a walk to Emmaus. They're so astounded in their interaction with him that they turn around from the road to Emmaus, go back to the disciples and say, Jesus Christ is risen just as he said. While they're saying that and the disciples are not believing it, Jesus appears in the room. That was a crazy day. But Matthew's telling us that Jesus did not, he did not ascend to heaven the day after the resurrection. Luke tells us for 40 days he was here. And Matthew gives us a clue. What was Jesus doing for those 40 days? Matthew tells us that Jesus had commanded them to go to Galilee. In fact, the angels at the ascension, the angels look at the disciples and describe them, call them men of Galilee. So Jesus Christ commands them to go to Galilee. Now one of the towns in Galilee is Capernaum. And the Gospels tell us, the Gospel of uh, Luke tells us that Jesus relocated. So even though he was born in Bethlehem, he had to flee to Egypt because he was in danger. He came back and grew up and was raised in Nazareth. But when he came of age and it was time for him to have his own home, uh, when it was time for him to begin his ministry, he moved to the city of Capernaum. 
Capernaum is a city right along the coast of the Sea of Galilee, in, uh, in the area of Galilee. So the disciples leave Jerusalem. Remember, most all the disciples are from Galilee. They went up to Jerusalem during, uh, during the Passover, which is when Good Friday happened, when the crucifixion happened, when the resurrection happened. None of the disciples lived in Jerusalem. So the disciples went back to their homes in, in Galilee. And scripture says not only that, um, that Jesus directed them to go to Galilee, but that the angels directed the disciples. The angels, when they appeared to the women at the tomb, they told the disciples, go, the angels told the women to tell the disciples, go to Galilee, Jesus has already gone ahead of you. And so Jesus goes to Galilee, pretty likely to Capernaum. Jesus spent most of his ministry, you know, the three and a half years that he was in ministry, most of that time was spent in the city of Capernaum. And so after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to many people. The apostle Paul tells us that one time he appeared to over 500 people in one setting. And I want you to think about all the people who were in Galilee that Jesus loved. All the people that were in Capernaum whom Jesus had changed their lives. Do you remember that time when four friends had a paralyzed friend and they climbed up on the roof? And they lowered their paralyzed friend through the roof and Jesus, he was born again. Jesus saved him and that salvation was made visible because he could get up and walk again. And that was a sign that not only was he physically healed, he had been spiritually healed by Jesus Christ. You know who else was from Capernaum? Uh, Peter. Not only was Peter from Capernaum, Peter's wife lived in Capernaum. Uh, Jesus um, went to Peter's house and Peter's wife's mother was sick. So Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter had relocated to Capernaum. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, lived in Capernaum. This means after the resurrection, John went back home to Galilee. Do you know who was with John when he went back to Galilee? On the cross, didn't Jesus Christ look right down at his mother and say, John... You take care of her. Jesus went back to Galilee. There were so many people that he loved that were there. He went back and appeared to his brother James. You know, most of Jesus' life, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, did not believe that Jesus was divine. And yet, Scripture tells us in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls on the, on the disciples, 10 days after the ascension, 50 days. This is two months after Jesus is crucified, dead, and resurrected. It says that one of the people who went up into that upper room and was praying for the Holy Spirit to fall, it said that Mary was there with the disciples along with Jesus' brothers. Jesus, after he was resurrected, went to Capernaum and appeared to the many, many people who he had touched, who he had changed, who he had changed their lives. They had been born again. And after Jesus was in Capernaum, then he headed to Jerusalem, but not before giving the disciples, giving the apostles a very serious ministry and mission. Look at it in verse 18. So he sends the disciples ahead into Galilee, just as he commanded them to. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And this great commission is still the primary mission statement of every evangelical Christian church, not only America, but around the world, to make disciples, to teach people to obey everything that God commanded them. And the reason why is because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Now from Galilee, after he gives them this great commission, Jesus, the disciples, head head to Jerusalem. Luke tells us that after 40 days of appearing to people, that Jesus is going to ascend. So Jesus goes to Bethany. That's what Luke tells us. Bethany is uh, on the side of the Mount of Olives. It's the place where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. And so Jesus on the Mount of Olives. The apostles are there. Jesus is standing there. Jesus' feet lift off the ground. They don't just lift off the ground four or five feet. Jesus flies away. Now, If you were here on Easter, I know, you know, as we talked about what happens to our spiritual lives, what happens to our souls, to our spirits after we die. We, I mean, we kind of went in the deep end of the pool at Easter, didn't we? We talked about where spirits go. We talked about where Jesus descended when he was in the grave, right? Um, And today we're going to be right back in that same territory. And the truth of the matter is you can't help but be in that territory when you open up this book. This book is divine. This book is about the supernatural. So Jesus is standing there on the Mount of Olives and he, he lifts up. There is a place on planet Earth that he, there's coordinates for the exact last place that Jesus' feet touch. And one of the reasons why Christians believe this is because at the end of the ascensions, the angel told the disciples, he's going to come back in exactly the same way. Do you believe that? Jesus lifts up off the ground and he starts ascending higher and higher. The apostles are look, disciples are looking at him. It says that they look at him. He goes so high that he hits the clouds and the clouds envelop them. And I mean, now we know because of our science and all that stuff, I don't, you know, clouds are between six and 10,000 feet. Jesus went up and flew up about six to 10,000 feet up in the sky. And then at six or 10,000 feet, he went into the clouds and, and he disappeared. And then two men appeared. Luke tells us in the book of Acts, two men appear, but they're not men, they're angels. And the angels look at the guys, and the guys are all looking up in the sky, straining to see him. He's out of their sight. And they say, what are you doing that for? What are you looking up there for? Stop looking up there. You, you got a job to do. Now, we shouldn't be sloppy in our thinking about what this means. Okay, for instance, um, There's a lot of people who in our day and age uh, are what we would consider liberal in their theology. What that means is they don't really believe in the supernatural miracles. They find kind of an earthly explanation for everything. Uh, Like for example, when Jesus fed the 5,000 out of a couple of fish and loaves, one of the ways that they would explain away that miracle is to say, Jesus, there was all the people were hungry. Jesus looked at the loaves and fishes And then as he gave them out and shared with people, the whole crowd was inspired by this little kid sharing. So they all took out their secret lunches and passed it around. It was a miracle of warmth and friendship, right? We're Christians. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus did a miracle. 
So what we don't want to do is to say, to be like the liberal theologians and say, um, this, that wasn't really Jesus, it was kind of a ghost, he kind of floated, and, uh, but that didn't really happen. That's not what we believe. The body that was at six, five, ten thousand feet was the same body that he was whipped in and crucified in, the same body that he said, Thomas, I mean, it's real. Okay, but we can't go the other way either and be total, total literalists. And here's what I mean. Um, it, let's say I, we don't know what speed Jesus was, uh, was ascending at, but let's just, we'll give it a number. It's 150 miles an hour. Jesus is ascending at 150 miles an hour. We can't be so literal to think that Jesus is still ascending, traveling at 150 miles an hour and asking the question, has he reached heaven yet? You know, if we did the calculations, you know, would he be somewhere around the planet uh, Uranus? You know, is that, is that about how far he got? That would be being too literal. Although you do know that's in scripture, the, uh, the Greek word, do you know what the Greek word for heaven is? Uranos, which is where we get the word Uranus from, right? Jesus, the point of it is not that heaven is at a certain elevation. But Jesus' physical body did elevate all the way up to the clouds and then disappear. Why? Because Jesus was making visible to the disciples and to us who were reading this right in scriptures exactly what has happened to Jesus Christ because of his suffering, because of his crucifixion, because of his resurrection. The point of Jesus ascending up was not so that we could see that he's at a higher elevation. It's so that we could see that he has ascended the throne of all authority. Because in the Bible, um, when it says that all authority on, on heaven and earth has been given to me, heaven is not simply one thing. Scripture teaches that there are three realms of heaven. In the beginning, Genesis says, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first heaven that the Bible describes as created is the atmosphere, the environment that we live in. According to the Bible, if you wanted to speak biblically, where do the falcons and the eagles fly? They fly in heaven, in the first heaven. Now I know what you're thinking, like, look, if I go to work today and I say, man, we saw a great sunrise, we saw the sunrise in the heavens, all my coworkers are going to think I'm weird, no one's going to hang out with me in the break room anymore, right? I, I understand that. It's okay to call it the sky. But Jesus ascended up to the top of our earthly atmosphere to teach us something. Who is the king of weather? Who is the king of the heaven of our atmosphere? The answer to that, according to Jesus Christ, right to his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Who's the king of weather? Jesus Christ is. And you say like, okay, why is that important for us to know that Jesus Christ is the king of weather? I mean, aren't we talking about this right now in our society? We're talking about the potential of rising global temperatures and rising sea levels. So it ain't as if people are not concerned about the weather. And many, many people say, you know who's the king of weather? You know who's making all this happen? You and me are. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Um, what in recorded human history, what is the greatest climate catastrophe that has ever happened? What is it? Um, it's, it's in the book of Genesis. The sea levels rose so high that they covered every single mountain peak on the entire planet. And when those waters receded, 
the earth that God created, the garden that Adam and Eve walked away or walked around in was totally changed. And why? Why did water come down from the heavens? One answer, sin, sexual immorality and violent crime. And out of the heavens, what came, what came down on the planet that we live in? What came out was God's judgment about that kind of sin. When Jesus Christ rises up through the clouds, up through the heavens, Hebrew says, he's communicating something. Who is in charge of human weather on this day today? Who's in charge of it? Jesus Christ is the king. So, but above, those, the, above the first heaven, which is where our weather comes from, biblically speaking, is the second heaven. This is where the sun and the moon and the stars run in their courses. And who has ordained the course of the sun? Who has ordained and created supernovas, black holes, nebula? The Hubble telescope is out swimming around in whose world out there? Is that the world of the scientists and the philosophers? No. Who, whose world is that? Who's the king of space, of sun, moon, stars, supernovas? Who's the king of the black holes? Who is it? The resurrection and Jesus Christ is standing on this mountain of Galilee talking to his apostles and he's talking to you and me and he's saying, I'm the king of that. I'm the king of that. And beyond the second heaven is something called the third heaven. And the third heaven, according to scripture, is where God dwells in unapproachable light and glory and great majesty. And this is where the son of God, Jesus Christ, ascended to the third heaven. Now, as I'm talking about this, what we're not talking about is distance. And the reason we know that is because we do know of a man. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians tells us that he got snatched away. That's the word that he uses. He got snatched away into the third heaven. And he says that he saw and heard things that you can't possibly even imagine. They were so beautiful and secret and intimate between him and God, he doesn't even record them in his letter. And he says that he's not sure if he only went there in the spirit or if he traveled there in the body. Now see why the third heaven can't simply be, it's, it's at the edge of the universe and it might take you 14 billion light years to get there. The ascension is not about distance. The ascension is about authority, power, greatness. Jesus is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So can't you see when the, when the disciples walked down the Mount of Olives? After Jesus gave them a, I mean, doesn't this sound like a crushing mission? Okay. Fellowship Alliance Chapel, when we leave today, here's the job we got to do. Everybody ready for your job description? Okay, go make disciples of all the nations. Go tell all the congresses and supreme courts, presidents, kings, czars. Go tell them all that they need to get to obeying Jesus Christ. <laughs> now go. Doesn't this sound like a great job? I mean, in our day and age, looking around at what's going on right now, How could, the, how could the apostles walk away from this job description? Walk down the Mount of Olives and Luke tells us that they walk down with great joy. How could they walk down with great joy at such what seems to be an impossible mission? Can I show you? Matthew chapter 28, I want you to look at the very last verse that Matthew writes with his little pen under the guidance and supervision of the Holy Spirit. Behold, 
I'm with you always to the end of the age. Who's going to be supervising the accomplishment of this mission to teach the whole nations to obey Jesus Christ? Who's supervising this project? Jesus Christ is. The disciples can walk down the mountain of the Great Commission and say, all right, we've got some real work to do preaching the gospel to the nations and they could know we are not in this by ourselves. Our great king who's seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father in his sovereign power and rule, he's the one accomplishing it. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to people about what it's like to try to live on mission, what it's like to to share our faith, what it's like to express our beliefs in all these supernatural things in the Bible. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and it's like, oh man, you know, I'm I'm talking to my friend, I'm praying for him and I know that the Lord's trying to save them and I just want to pause and say, wait, wait one second. Does the Lord Jesus try anything? The Lord Jesus doesn't try anything because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Human history is not ramming back and forth between two walls and Jesus Christ is trying to steer it in for a landing like a plane that's going through a storm, you know, the wings kind of going back and forth like that. Human history is playing out exactly the way the Heavenly Father has foreordained it and written it to come to one exact specific fixed point and that fixed point is Jesus Christ's great return. And the day when the, when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. Is that what you believe? Is that what we believe? The the apostles walked down the Mount of Olives with great joy because they had an inspiring mission. Teach the whole world to obey the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Isn't that inspiring? Can't you, don't you love to do that? And to know that the entire time that we're doing it, we're guaranteed total and complete success. Because scripture says that we don't make Christians, right? Nowhere does he say, go, disciples, go therefore and save people. <laughs> um, you know you can't save anybody, right? Who saves people? God. The plain teaching of scripture in this room, if, you, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, you know how that happened, Right? Before the foundation of the world, before God said, let there be light, he already ordained that you were going to be in his family forever. Before the foundation of the world, the father planned salvation for you. Do you know how it got accomplished? Do you know how God could ever choose to adopt and love and save a sinful person like Seth McCoy? Do you know how, do you know what had to happen? Jesus Christ had to sacrifice his life on the cross so that his blood could cover over the multitude of my sins and your sins. The father planned it. Jesus Christ in the fullness of time perfectly accomplished it. And what does scripture tell us happens in the, in the spirits of everyone who ever comes to saving faith when they hear this teaching, the message of the gospel? 
The Holy Spirit works inside of us before we even knew what was going on, opening us up so that instead of choosing to continue to believe the lie that the guards told at the very beginning, what happens to Christians is the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to believe Jesus Christ is risen and the King and he has saved me and I could be adopted into his great family. Who saves sinners? God does. What do we do? We teach them to obey him. Isn't that an inspiring mission? Jesus Christ is ascended and seated on the throne. And on one hand, we can think that he's a million miles up there and so far away. And then at the very same breath, he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm right here with you. He's right here with us. Now, when I was young, I was adopted. Five years old, I got pulled out of the home that I was born into. That home was an awful one. There was no dad in my life. My mom was a hippie drug addict in Hollywood in the 70s. She was living her best life now, free as could be, but not for me and my brother. She slept in the bedroom. Me and my brother slept in the living room. Uh, He on a little love seat and, and me on a couch. And because the world that we lived in was so chaotic, I'm sure that's part of the reason why, but at night, oftentimes I'd have nightmares. And when I had a nightmare and I was out in the living room on the chair, I, I would I'd try to go to my mom. But my mom, it was a rare night that I remember that she was alone in that bedroom. Even though my dad wasn't around and she wasn't married, there was no shortage of men that were in our house. I would go over to the little door. And if I could just get close to the door, I, I, I would lay down there. And by God's sovereign grace, I was, I was taken out of that house. She put me up for adoption and adopted into a house that was totally safe. Father was an attorney, had served in the military, was a Marine Corps officer. You know, the first house I was born in had no rules. It was chaos and I, it was terrible for me. The house I got adopted into, there were plenty of rules. And my mom didn't work, so she was always around. I mean, I was safe. But you know, it took me a little while, even though I was safe, it took me a while to feel safe. I'd still have nightmares at night. And I'd wake up at night and I'd go over to my parents' bedroom door and I would lay out in front of the door. I didn't need to open the door. I didn't need to go inside. I just needed to know. I know they're on the other side there. I know they're there. And if I can get close, I know I'm going to be okay, right? Christians, you've been adopted out of the chaos of sin not, no one besides Jesus Christ is ever a rightful heir of salvation. We all get adopted into a family that we never, ever deserved, God's family. And what the ascension should mean for you and me, you're safe. Jesus Christ is on the throne over everything that's happening in your life. I often look back at those first years and I ask the question, did it have to be like that? God, is that you? I know his sovereignty is sometimes hard to deal with. And yet superintending every event in the life of the Christian is the Jesus Christ who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, was resurrected and ascended and is right now seated at the throne of power so that nothing ever happens to you. Nothing ever happens to you outside of his great kingship. This is why Paul would write in Romans 8, everything, all things, everything, all things are working together for one purpose, 
for your good if you're called and in Christ Jesus we Christians can take great comfort in the ascension Jesus Christ is in heaven on the throne and it's not a shaky throne and it certainly isn't a little one he's the king first we believe it second we proclaim it and do we proclaim it quietly or loudly he's the king do, do we proclaim it confidently yeah All right, look at that. You're clapping, so that means I said enough. Stand to your feet. Let's be done. <laughs> Heavenly Father, right now I just pray, Lord, please. The disciples walked down the Mount of Olives with joy at the job that they had been given to proclaim the High King Jesus to the nations and to command the world, obey him. And the very first thing that we all have to obey you about is we got to come to the cross. Every one of us messengers who so boldly commands the world to come to Jesus Christ, we had to come first. And the first thing that we had to admit is that we had been running our own lives into the ground. We'd sinned and we'd fallen short. Lord, let us have boldness in proclaiming this message. Not because of us, because of him. And Lord... Let us have great humility when we're doing it. Remembering, we weren't born regal. But we have been born again royal. Strengthen our faith, Lord.